The following sermon podcast is a glimpse into the community of Central Bible Church, where we strive to welcome everyone into Jesus' life. We hope that you can join us for this Sunday service as we gather together seeking to live in and for Christ. Thank you, Gordon. Hey, good morning. Hi, my name is Oshua. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to uh, teach through this, this passage this morning. Uh, let's pray as we get started. Lord Jesus, we welcome you here. We ask for your help as we learn, as we seek renewal and transformation, as we seek to be a community together that's authentic, that, that loves each other, that walks in the good times and the hard times together. So please help me be faithful to your scriptures uh, this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, how do people change? How do we learn something new so that it actually changes us holistically? How do we change old, stubborn habits? How do we change not just our thinking, but our feelings and our desires. So there's a word in this passage that we heard, it appears twice, that speaks to this. And it's the word training. Training. Look at our, our text this morning. You see it first in verse 6. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So, our New Testaments, right, are, are translated from Greek. And this word that's translated here comes from the agricultural word, world. It means to nourish or cultivate something. That's why if you have an NIV, it says right, that you're nourished by this word. It's that, that root idea of, of raising something and nourishing it. But it also then began to be used for training children. So it's the idea of nourishing and cultivating a young child. It's that long process of training. And that of constant nourishment, and if you have lots of kids you, and they get bigger, you realize they need lots of food, and you've got to pay for them, and you've got to train them and teach them, and, and, and it's just this long, drawn-out process of training. And the, the specific word here has this prefix that says training in something, and so it's training in the teachings of Christ and his apostles. So this first idea, this long process of cultivation and training. The second word is in verse 7, right, where he says, have nothing to do with these irrelevant silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. Now this is a different word. It's, uh, it comes from the, the world of the Greek gymnasia or gymnasia. It's, it's what we get the English word gymnasium from, right? And in the, the Greek and Roman world, the gymnasium was, this, was like the cultural hub or even the governmental institution and hub for that world in the New Testament. So the gymnasium originated in Athens, where the citizens were influenced by this philosopher Pericles, who taught that men should be able to pursue wisdom, but then also still have their masculine strength and be able to go to war. And so it was kind of like, of its day, it was kind of like a men's country club and elite university all put into one. 
And so you would go there, right, and you'd have your long robe on, and you would sit through lectures and classes on philosophy. And if you were a man, and if you were a free citizen, so kind of that aristocratic free class, you would be a part and a member of the gymnasium of your city. And you would go and you hear lectures, you would learn the sciences and the arts. And then you would go into the bathhouse and you would relax and you would cleanse and practice good hygiene. And you would socialize and you would connect with other people and other men or you'd do business. And then, just like you take off your clothes to go to the bath, you would stay nude and run around and race and wrestle. And that was just their thing. In fact, the word gymnasium comes from the word for nakedness. Um, That's what the Greeks did. So, this was literally, the gymnasium was the center of education and cultural formation for a young Roman man growing up. It was where holistic learning and cultural formation happened. And so, as Paul uses this, right, this word, train yourselves for godliness, and it's in this letter of 1 Timothy. So it's Paul exhorting Timothy, this young pastor, to be trained for godliness. He's taking it out of the abstract and theoretical, right? And he's making it concrete. It's not all, it's, he's not using this deep spiritual or supernatural language. He's bringing it down to earth. He's saying in the simplest terms, growing in godliness is kind of like teaching a young child to clean their room. Or it's kind of like training for a half marathon. He's taking it out of this theoretical world and putting it into everyday understanding. So I want us to do a little mental exercise, a little illustration to see how far off we've gotten and how complicated, convoluted, and esoteric we've made this idea of spiritual growth and renewal and training, okay? So, just think about this for me. Imagine you wanted to get healthy, and you wanted to change your diet, right? And you wanted to to change from eating all these processed foods, going to fast food, all this stuff, and you wanted to start eating only healthy and ethically sourced food, right? How would you go about doing that, right? There's some ways that wouldn't work, but some ways that we know would work, right? You'd probably, you'd need to be convinced in your mind, right, that it was important. Maybe it's you're going to your doctor, your cardiologist, and he says, mm, this is looking bad. Your cholesterol, your blood sugar, something's got to change, or, or you're going to end up in the hospital. And you're like, okay, yes, sir. So it's the doctor, someone you trust, someone of influential, or maybe it's your spouse that's been, that's been bugging you for years, or maybe you just moved to Portland, and you have a new group of Portland hipster friends. And they're really into beyond organic, non-GMO, sustainably sourced, gluten-free superfoods. And you're just like, okay, I'm hanging out with the new crowd. Okay, I'm, I've got to kind of learn to adapt. And, and, and either way, you have to get, be convinced in your mind. Something changes, and the people that you trust and love begin to influence you to say, oh, I should eat different. And so what happens? You start avoid, avoiding the junk foods, right? You start not doing all the processed food, you start to eat more healthy, at least when you're with those new friends or when your spouse is watching, right? So you're in a, in a hurry to get to work, didn't eat any breakfast, well, there's Mickey D's, drop on in. 
right? Or you're with your old college buddies, you're watching the game, they get out the Cheetos, what are you going to do? So you can be convinced in your mind that you ought to eat in a certain way, but your body is not convinced. The cravings of your appetite are not convinced. Unlearning old habits will require, require counterformative practices, different rhythms and routines that will actually retrain your hunger, what you desire to eat, right? Now, what happens is you begin to eat this way, right? If your tastes have been trained on high fructose corn syrup and MSG, are you going to like the taste of raw kale and quinoa? Probably not. But you're going to eat it anyway, right? Because you, you know it's good for you. So you eat your broccoli and you drink your kombucha. But it's not sweet enough. It's not salty enough. There's not enough. It hasn't been deep fried. Now, now how does your body begin to respond? At first. Have you guys seen that Portlandia sketch where they go to the vegan restaurant? <laughs> right? And they start eating. They have this big, they eat these, like the squeezed juices and the... Uh, with the veggies and the kale salad. And, and then the waitress has to come up and say, excuse me, we're getting complaints. There's a designated flatulence room in the back. Please excuse yourself, right? Your body doesn't know what to do with all the green leafy vegetables it's eating. It's, you're, you're a little bloated. You're a little, you got some gas. Right? You're not ready. You're not ready for it. It takes some time. But what happens if you give it time? right? Weeks, months, maybe a year. Well, you know what? You start to feel better. You start to have more energy. Maybe your blood sugar and your cholesterol level stabilizes, right? You go to the doctors and you get a thumbs up. Well, well done. Your hipster friends are like, you're, you're on it. I like this, right? Your spouse compliments you. You're looking good. How long does it take, though? Right? It's not days, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start eating different tomorrow, right? And it, it, it takes months, maybe years for this process to go where, where now your tastes actually desire what's good for your body. And then you go back to, right, drinking a Mountain Dew and you're just, and, and then you feel sick, right? Then you're like, oh, my body can't do this anymore. You've literally retrained your whole body, your whole system to delight in something new. Okay? So that's how, right, if you were going to go through a process of changing your diet. Let's analyze a little bit, a little, little kind of what that process was. First, you, got, you had to get convinced, right? People you trust and love had to convince you of the goodness of the change. You had to see it modeled. You had to begin to say no to the old cravings and instead to begin a new pattern of behavior that's first difficult and not enjoyable. You realize your weaknesses so you don't put yourself in situations that would reinforce your old habits. And then over time, those old cravings begin to die down and you gain a new enjoyment. And then finally, there's that positive reinforcement. There's, there's the people in your life Notice the, the health and the goodness, and, you, and, and there's encouragement, and you begin to experience a new way of life. So, instinctively and experientially, we know that's how we change, in major ways, right? It's the way you learn to play a sport. It's the way you pick up a musical instrument, 
constant repetition and training where it literally gets in your muscle memory, right? It's an intuitive understanding that's in our bodies of how to play an instrument or play a sport. And what do you do? You, you surround yourself by a community of people that play that same instrument or that same style of music or play that same sport so that you can be encouraged and challenged and grow and have fun together. And those are the people you begin to love and you're in relationship with. It's not rocket science, right? This is how we, we learn and grow and change. But I think somehow, when we get to the moral or spiritual area in our life, we think change happens somehow in a totally magical way. Not training, right? Hard work, training. No, it's magical, right? We know it's stupid if I'm just sitting here, right, saying, God, please make me healthy, right? Help me to, to, to change my, my lifestyle. Well, on the, on the couch, eating pork rinds, drinking Mountain Dew, right? I've never had a pork rind in my life. I don't even really know what they taste like. <laughs> but, so you can't just ask God, please help me to be healthy, right? We know that's stupid, right? But we do that, don't we? God, deliver me from lust. And then we're t- we totally have no accountability or honest spiritual friendships in our life. We surround ourselves with the constant temptation of social media and internet pornography, and we wonder why we're, we're still struggling with lust. Hear me out. This is, this is the point about training. The Bible does not teach a magical view of transformation that's entirely disconnected from the, the natural habits and thought processes of our lives. It just doesn't. Yes. Okay, hold on. You're thinking, oh, wait, wait. Okay. We believe in the miracle of regeneration. We believe that God transforms hearts, right? He takes out that heart of stone. He gives us a new heart. He gives us new desires to please him. The book of Romans calls this the renewal of the inner man. Yes, that happens. But what do we still have with us? Our flesh, our old bodies. That resurrection of our body is still future. And so the book of Romans says that we still have the power of the flesh living in us. Our very bodies have been ingrained with habits and memories and patterns of behavior that we've inherited from our forefathers, from our family of origin, and ultimately from Adam that's still there ingrained in our bodies. Just this last week, I was talking to an old college friend, friend who's now a, a psychology and neuroscience professor at Multnomah University. And he was sharing about how neuro, neuroscience is now helping us to understand the connection between our souls and our bodies. And it just occurred to me, as I've studied Romans, and particularly Romans 7, and that struggle that we have inside, that, you know what, science is just now catching up with what the Bible has already taught us, right? In Romans 7, he says, he says, right, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And then he concludes that chapter by saying, I serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. My renewed mind, that was miraculous, yes, 
can desire one thing, but this body with its old habits and patterns still desires that old life. It still desires the Mountain Dew and pork rinds. So, the day-to-day renewal of our hearts and minds. This is what we're talking about in this series of renewal. It begins with the miracle of regeneration, yes, but it continues through the renewing work of the Spirit through what the, the Reformers used to call the means of grace, or what Dallas Willard has called the conduits of grace. These are the, the rhythms and practices and disciplines, or in the language of training, the exercises that, that, that literally help us to embody the message of the gospel. Right? There, there are spiritual disciplines and practices that, that help our minds understand something, and it literally then retrains our desires and hungers. Think with me for a moment of what we talked about last week in anxiety. Right? We talked about anxiety and, and its effect on us and the need for rest. And you can hear that invitation from Jesus when he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, or you can read in Isaiah forty one ten. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. You can hear those things. You can believe those things are true. You can pray those things. But that irrational fear and anxiety won't just magically go away. It lives in your bones. It's a trained response that's literally imprinted in your nervous system. God can heal. We believe in miracles. Yes. I've seen things like that happen. But the normal day-to-day process of transformation comes through an ongoing training process of small decisions that develop new habits, new thought processes, and ultimately new ways of being. That's what this passage is talking about. Training for godliness. Like training and raising up and cultivating a child or going to the gym. So look with me at this idea of training for righteousness. And what we see here, he compares it, right? In verse 7 and 8, he says, Bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. He connects it. This, this training for godliness is like a training our, of our body for the Olympics, for a competition. But it holds far deeper value. The gain that you, you get from eating healthy, right, and having an active lifestyle is significant. But it's nothing compared to the gain from training for godliness. Whatever sacrifice you have to make, it will be returned to you a hundredfold in blessing and reward. It is worth it, right? Because, and this is why it's so essential, is this training is a matter of life or death. Like a cardiologist, right, who says to the patient, you're, if you, you don't change your lifestyle, you're gonna die of a heart attack, right? Like that cardiologist, God comes to us and says, perhaps to you, like a doctor or maybe a physical therapist, right? 
maybe something needs to change. Or if you continue down this path, it's not going to go well. And so I'd encourage you to ask yourself, what would God say to me if he was that doctor looking at the training of my moral and ethical and spiritual self and body? Is it you've trained well? You're ready to run the marathon. You're ready for the spiritual battle. Or you're killing yourself with the junk food of this culture. Your spiritual muscles are atrophied. They're weak. You're going to need some serious training if you're going to get back on this path. You're going to need some help. You're going to need a coach. Right? Ever been to the gym? (laughs) Right? It helps to have a coach. And so, good news. This passage gives us those exercises. Kind of, I've been going to a physical therapist for my back. They give you exercises to do. And it's not like going to like the pharmacist. He, he gives you the medicine, the drugs or whatever. You take it. Oh, the pain goes away. Oh, the problem is solved. The antibiotic killed the bacteria. I'm done. No, the physical therapist is not nice like that. They're not easy. They say, these are your exercises. Do them every day, and you'll get better. Don't do them, and you won't. They can't do anything more than what you will do for yourself. So, we have exercises. We have disciplines that this passage gives us. And here they are. These paths to renewal. In this passage, we see learning and liturgy, modeling and mentorship, and submission and service. And we're going to spend our next few minutes talking about them. And what you see, last week we looked at these personal, internal disciplines, and now we're going to look at these corporate disciplines. Disciplines that are expressed in the church. Now, we live in a highly individualistic society, right? That we we fear authority, we fear commitment, and self-expression is sacred, and we're in the, even the tradition of our Christian church, of our church in particular. We come more out of an 18th century revivalism, kind of me and Jesus, individualism. We emphasize these personal practices, and we, and we downplay or ignore the role of the church in our transformation. And I want to challenge you in this, going with the same image of the gymnasium, that the church is the gymnasium of the Christian life. Not just our modern day gym, yeah, you can go when you got time, you get a membership, pay for the year, never show up, right? Some of us treat church like that. But, but no, no, this is this holistic place where, where in the Roman days they went to learn, they, they went to socialize, experience relationships, and they went to exercise and become strong and prepare for war. The church is the gymnasium of the Christian life. And we cannot be trained for godliness and we cannot experience lasting renewal without it. To get the context and know like, okay, is that really a big thing in here? Like, here's Paul's writing to Timothy. It's, just, it's, it's like one pastor writing to another pastor. Where's, where's the church in here? If you look a little earlier in, in chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, you see that this is the context of our passage and of this whole book is growing and training in godliness within the church. Look at verse 14. Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, 
you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The church is the pillar and buttress of the church. This training for godliness happens within the church, within the community of God's people. And so this first exercise that he gives us is learning and liturgy. And liturgy is maybe just an old, it's an older Latin term. It just means worship. So Timothy's a pastor, and he's telling Timothy, sorry, Paul's the pastor, and he's telling Timothy this in verse 13. He says, until I come, this is chapter 14, well, chapter 4, verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. He's saying, devote yourself in the church to the proclamation of God's word and to the gathering of God's people for worship. Hmm. That might seem surprising to you. I, think we're, I thought we were talking about training, right? I go to church, I sit there. How is that training? How does gathering each week in worship, sitting under the teaching of the word, train us? Right? You might be thinking, and maybe you, you, you practice this. Yeah, sure, that makes sense. The early church, yeah, they were persecuted. They had to go meet together, and that was really important. But now, I have podcasts, right? I got, these, I got my favorite preachers, and I can listen to them whenever I want. Or I have YouTube, and they have these, these like channels of worship music. And I can sing worship for my favorite worship bands. And I have Christian friends, and we go to coffee shops, and we talk about Christian things. I can do all that. What's so significant about the church? Why is gathering and worship on a Sunday morning so essential? So, if we go back to that analogy of training ourselves to eat, right, the healthy food, participating in the rhythm of weekly worship with God's people is one of those habits that actually shape our enjoyments and our tastes. As we listen to the preaching of the word, our thinking is transformed, and we see that need for change. And this happens, get this, not especially through the dynamic celebrity preacher that you listen to on the podcast while you're doing the dishes or writing the max. This happens especially when it's the teaching from the actual pastors who are praying for your souls who actually know you and care about you. And you're being shaped, not, you're, you're not alone with your earbuds in. You're sitting alongside someone that knows you and loves you and can see how you're doing. It happens in relationship. In much of our, our own church tradition, Right? We've, worshiped, we've focused on worship as expression. And that's true, right? We express our praise to God and we want it to be genuine and authentic and creative. But there's something more. and it doesn't, The idea of, of worship as expression doesn't cut to the heart of how transformative liturgy is. The gathering and worship. 
Right? By liturgy, I mean everything. As we gather, we pray, we confess, we hear the gospel, we receive communion, and we celebrate the coming of the kingdom. I want to read a quote from philosopher James Smith, and he speaks to this, this transformative power of worship, that it's not just us expressing our hearts to God, but it's God actually coming and changing us. This is what he says. He says, throughout the course of its history, the church has always understood worship as more than expression. Christian worship is also a formative practice, precisely because worship is also a downward encounter in which God is the primary actor. Worship isn't just something we do, it does something to us. Worship is a space where we are nourished by word and sacrament. We eat the word and eat the bread that is the word of life. There is a logic to the shape of intentional, historic Christian worship that performs the gospel over and over again as a way to form and reform our habits. If we fail to immerse ourselves in sacramental, transformative worship, we will not be adequately formed to be ambassadors of Christ's redemption in and for the world. And get this, and here's this idea of the gym. If all of life is going to be worship, the sanctuary is the place where we learn how. This is the place where we learn how to worship. We are practicing now for living the rest of our life. Okay, I want to be really practical here. That's the foundation, this, this practice and discipline of learning and liturgy that we, is a habit that we develop in our life. So how, how do you make it transformative, these gatherings on Sunday morning? A couple practical ideas. First, prepare your heart for Sunday worship. Get enough sleep Saturday night. Right? Take time before going to bed to read the scriptures. Ask God to actually prepare your heart. Ask God to speak to you as you gather with his people. Another practical thing is prepare your heart and your life for communion. Reflect on the weeks before. Reflect on the ways that you've fallen short and practice confession. Practice agreeing with God about what he says about your sin and receiving his grace and forgiveness. And if there's relationships in your life or in your family, in your home that are not reconciled, seek those out. Seek those people out. Seek that reconciliation so that you're ready for communion. And then a final idea is show up to church looking for God and leave church looking for people. Here's what I mean by that. Show up with your heart ready to seek God, looking, looking for Him, seeing where He's going to show up. And then as church ends, get up, not ready to zip out of here. Get up looking for people, looking for people at least one person. God, help me to have one meaningful conversation. Find those people you don't recognize. Introduce yourself. Right? You haven't just done your duty because you've sat through a service. We're a part of a body. We gather together. Community happens when we invest in that community. You have something to contribute. Hang around and see what that is. Ask God to show you. That's the first exercise of transformation, of training, learning and liturgy. Next is modeling and mentorship. We see that in that relationship between Paul and Timothy. Look at verse 12. 
Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. The ministry of the word is not meant to be disembodied. Right? It's not just theoretical. It has flesh and bones. Timothy was radically transformed, not just by Jesus and the gospel, but by a living, loving, spiritual father who came alongside him and said, Timothy, my true child in the faith, walk with me. Learn from me as I follow Christ. Follow me. Right? Then in turn, now Paul is exhorting Timothy, model out this gospel for the people around you, for the people in your church. Now get this. This is, this is very important to hear. Our character is mainly shaped by the social community around us. That's how we are shaped and influenced. It's the people who we eat with, play with, talk with, confide in, who shape us and make us who we are. We are all modeling our lives after someone. If you have kids, I'm sure you've experienced this, right? It could be your, maybe your, your kid goes over to a, a friend's house to play, and then they come back, and you hear a, a new kind of whiny voice coming from your child, and you're like, wait, wait, that's not your voice. I'm hearing something different. And you realize their, their whiny voice that they're now expressing to you is actually the voice of that other child that you had just spent time with. And it's easy for us to judge the other child, but the other parent is probably experiencing the same thing about something different <laughs> from their child being with your child. But we see that, right? There's that influence where they literally start talking like another child for just being with them for a few hours. We are like that too. Maybe you get a new job and your spouse mentions to you that you're starting to sound more and more like those coworkers. That could be a bad thing or that could be a good thing. But we're going to be shaped by the people we spend the most time with. It's either going to be accidental and automatic or it's going to be deliberate and purposeful. So the question is, who is shaping you? And who in turn are you shaping? We said earlier that the church is the gymnasium of the Christian life. If you've been to a modern gym for the first time, and I've been that guy before going, going into the gym like, okay, I've never been a gym rat. I don't know what to do. It makes all the difference in the world if you have a coach or a friend who knows the gym, right? Who, who can show you the equipment, who can help you think through, oh, this, these are the exercises that I should do. This, this is how I can set realistic goals for myself to grow and, and get in shape. If you're alone, you're just kind of like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start, right? So, practical ideas for training in modeling and mentorship. Look around you and find one person who you want to learn from in this room. Someone that you, you see in them, something they, that you admire. And then go talk to that person whether it's today or this week, talk to that person and just ask them. Or first encourage them, say, I see this in you and I admire it. 
and then just ask them, hey, could you help me grow in that area of my life? And just see what God does. It might not be this deep mentorship relationship that grows. It might just be a five-minute conversation. But you've encouraged them, and you've learned something. You've learned how they grew in that area in their life. Here's another application. Look around and find one person, preferably of the same gender, who is in a, in a stage of life that you've already been through. Okay, maybe you're a, you're, uh, you see a, uh, a young married couple, right? With, and you, you've been married for years and you have older children. Or maybe you're a, you're a college student and you see a junior higher. Find someone that's in a stage of life that you've already been through and talk to them and share with them the encouragement that you wish you had heard more of when you were in that season in life. Notice what I said. I didn't say go give them the advice you wish you had been given during that time in life. It's not advice. Think through what would have been the encouragement that would have most helped me during that stage in life. And share that encouragement. And let them know that if they need any more encouragement going through that stage of life, you'd be happy to talk to them or happy to be a listening ear for them. And just see what God does. So, two things. Look around, find one person who you, you see something you admire and let them know and ask them a question about it. And the second one is find someone that's in a stage of life you've already been through and offer some encouragement you wish that you had heard. Now, this is, I'm excited to say this, something to, to make it easier for us all is we are launching the new Central Bible Church Directory next week to make it easier and to take away any excuses that you might have for I didn't have so-and-so's phone number. Okay? So it's launching online first. And the way you, you get connected is by us having your most up-to-date email address. Okay? So there's little connect cards. There's, there's a little flyers we give you. Whatever it is, a piece of paper with a pen. Make sure we have your name and your most up-to-date email address. Get it in one of the boxes in the back and you'll get an invite email this week to sign up and join that online directory, and then we will, in time, then get a print directory. Is that what you're going to ask about? No. So There's nothing there? Yeah, yes. You can also update your information on the church app. The church app. Church app, any piece of paper with a name and your email can go on that back, um, the back offering box. Okay? Now, the third exercise that we have in community to grow and be trained is submission and service. Look at verse 14 and 15. This is where we see this. He says to Timothy, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Serving is a profound way that we train our bodies to submit to Christ and to his people, right? They're using our 
time, our treasure, our talent, investing and serving others. We're building habits of valuing others as greater than ourselves. And that happens, those are far more real embodied habits than just, oh, I think that's important to serve others. Or I talk about serving others. You actually do it, those habits grow and you begin to enjoy it more and believe in it more. Now, here we see with Timothy, right, there's this team of elders that Timothy leads alongside. He is young. It says earlier in our passage, right, let no one despise you for your youth. So he's a, young, a younger man, perhaps the youngest of this team of elders, but they recognize his gifting and his calling, and they empower him to serve in his gifting. And then we see, so there's that, there's that, that idea of, of service, empowered, gifting, serving. But there's also submission. We see that he's accountable to these men and to the whole church. It says his growth in godliness is, is visible to all. That's significant. His growth in godliness is not his own business. Others will see if he is growing. And thus we can assume, right, they would also see if he's backsliding or stagnant in his growth. We all love the idea of empowerment, and we want to be entrusted with authority and recognized for our gifting, (laughs) but we don't like the idea of accountability, do we? We don't like the idea that our growth, or lack thereof, is someone else's business. Guess what? It is. It is our business. Because this battle that we are training for is a matter of life or death. We cannot do it alone. I do not trust myself to be trained for godliness on my own. I would have shipwrecked my faith long ago if it had not been for deep friendships with brothers and sisters who love me, who love Jesus, and who say the hard things to me and speak life-giving words of encouragement when I've lost hope. I still remember sitting as a student at Multnomah Bible College in this room, and Dr. Gary Friesen gets on this stage if you don't, don't know him, he was one of the really well-loved, uh, godly professors, well-known author, and, and just, just an amazing man of God. He was a single guy, so he's a little eccentric. He's the guy who had the Narnia house. Everything was Narnia. He called it the how, uh, Aslam's how. Uh, fascinating, fascinating man, but amazing and godly and genuine. I still remember this day, sitting in a chapel, and he gets up here. And he shares about how he had been invited to serve as an elder at a Mago Dei church. And that he was going to transfer his church membership from his previous church to a Mago Dei. And he, and he said that he did not want to go a single week not being under the accountability and covering and protection of a local church. He didn't trust himself apart from the accountability of church membership for even one week. (laughs) He was sharing this with the student body. And as a young, idealistic college student, I thought he was being a bit dramatic. Now I know that he was simply being honest. 
So where are you this morning? Are there brothers and sisters in the Lord besides your spouse in your life who, who are seeing your progress in the faith? They can see if you are growing, right? And you've invited them into your life to challenge you if you're not growing. Are those people in your life? Now, some of you may be feeling or thinking, well, that's well and good. That's fine for you to say that. But I have already invested in people in this church. I've already served alongside people for years. And now those people have left. And seeing them go was so hurtful, I'm now afraid to invest in new relationships and new people. And this whole modeling idea and mentorship and service and submission, I'm just worn out. I look around the church and, I'm, and it's not the same church anymore. I don't see the same faces and I wonder, are these still my people? And you have the mixed emotions of, oh, I see good things happening, but there's so much I miss. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I'm ready to enter into covenant and relationship and service in this church. If that describes you, I don't have the perfect answer. And I don't know what you should do. Only Jesus can tell you that. But I can say this. I understand how you feel. I've walked through difficult church departures with people I love leaving the church that I've been in. And God has made it clear that I need to stay and help rebuild the church. And I've been in another church where people who I love that I invested in and served for years, people I discipled and led to Christ, and God was calling me to leave. And I had to say goodbye. And there are people that I, that I would spend hours with every week. Best friends that now maybe I see once every year or two. So I've, I've been through the experience of staying as others have left. And I've been through the experience of needing to make a decision. And God's leading to leave. Investing yourself in the lives of other people can be painful. But it's what God's called us to do. And I pray that he leads each of us in pressing into community wherever he's called us to be. And so in closing, some final practical ideas for training in submission and service. So as we talked about on Vision Sunday, right, there is both the trellis of ministry programs and the vine of discipleship work. Right, loving one another, speaking God's word to each other. If you desire to serve in any capacity or lead, we welcome that. That's exciting. We want to see you empowered to serve in your gifts. And the first step is to commit in membership, to say, yes, these are my people. Yes, I want to be a part of this church body. I want to commit to these people. And so... Talk to one of the pastors to find out more about what that looks like. Second practical piece is press into the vine work through, through the home communities that we've started or entering into a mentoring relationship 
where there is training in godliness alongside another person. And then the final piece, and you'll hear from Andrew Pratt after the service about this, is, is we're moving our service here downstairs. And we're going to be there by Easter. <laughs> so there's a lot of trellis work to do, a lot of transplanting, a lot of digging up and changing. And, and, and so be involved in that. Ask how you can help in helping us get ready. And so in closing, and this is meant to be a highly practical message of thinking through training for godliness, not out way in the abstract and the theological and the mental and the we're so good at quoting our favorite authors kind of thing, but in the practical training, everyday habits that change how we feel and even what we desire and love. It takes the spiritual practices in community. And so in closing, we're going to do something together in the church gymnasium, okay? And it's not work on our jump shot. We're going to participate in the story of redemption by taking communion together. And we're entering into communion with each other, not just us in this room, but the entire church through the centuries. And to remind us of that and to, and to get this, this truth within our bodies, we're going to do something we don't usually do. We're going to read and actually do a call and response prayer from the most ancient communion prayer that we have outside of the Bible. Okay, this is from the Didache, which is a, a, a writing that was discovered that's probably dated between 50 and 70 AD. And it's just a, a prayer, and it's going to let us enter into how the earliest church took communion and how they celebrated it together. And so I want to invite you to stand up. This is going to be our, our closing prayer and our invitation into communion and this time to go into response where we are, yes, expressing our praise to God, but also that He is coming down and meeting us and He is shaping and forming us by His Gospels. We enter into that story of redemption that Jesus came, that He lived a perfect life, He fulfilled the law, and then He died death for our sin on the cross. Not that he deserved, but he did that in our place so that we could enter into new life, that we could be purified and made clean. Our shame would be taken away. We'd be clothed in his righteousness and then be empowered by his spirit to live and serve him together. And we're no longer on our own. We're joined together in one body, in a family, given a new name desire to be formed by the Word of God in community. If you have questions about this week's sermon, we would love to hear from you. For more information about our church, please visit centralbible.church.